Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week, we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. We hope you find this message encouraging. Bibles want to turn with me. We're going to be uh, in the Old Testament this morning, but got a little bit of background first. Uh, a couple of, well, two, three, four weeks ago, my, uh, Father's Day got in the way, and then I was gone for Sunday and all that kind of stuff, but about a month or so ago, uh, preached a sermon on how to know the will of God. And uh, if you miss a sermon, uh, Zach puts those on uh, our Facebook page. Uh, we're few weeks behind, but uh, he puts those on there regularly, and uh, so you can catch us there at FWC Beaumont and catch a message that maybe you missed out on. But I talked about know, how to know the will of God, or how can I know the will of God. I think that's probably one of the biggest things, biggest concerns that I run into among people that are believers. How can I know what God wants me to do? And ultimately, it, it comes down to this. The whole crux of the matter is... We're here to get people saved. Amen. We're here to win people to the kingdom. And, you know, I've, I've run into people that have said, well, whenever we get saved, why didn't God just translate us right then from, from the altar to heaven? And how many of you think yes and amen? Yeah, because, I mean, hey, everybody that's lived a little bit of life, you know, it's tough. Sometimes we run into things that we don't, don't necessarily like, and uh, it, we think about heaven a whole lot. It makes heaven sweeter to think about because, you know, when we get to think about how perfect heaven is going to be, never any sorrow, sadness, sickness, disease, any of that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it comes down to the fact that we're here to win people to the kingdom. Now, that's God's will, overarching will for everybody. We're all to work together for that. But what does that look like? Sometimes we, we want a little snapshot. What does that look like? What does the will of God look like in my life? And the problem with that is it doesn't look the same for all of us. All things work together. He gave, uh, gave all the gifts and all the, all the things, all the fruit of the Spirit that we would work together as one body to be able to make that happen. Not everybody's a hand, not everybody's an eye, not everybody's an ear. Paul uses that in a couple of different places as an example but ultimately, everything that we do works together for God's plan and his will on this earth. But sometimes we struggle with it as individuals. What's my part? What am I supposed to do? And we talked about a couple of weeks ago, just, just to kind of put it back in your mind, what is, what is the will of God? This is the thing you've got to answer before you can say, I know the will of God. You've got to figure out what it is. And number one, it's not a feeling. Oh, my goodness. In this day and time in which we live, we're all about feelings. You hurt my feelings. Oh, I, I, you know, I feel this way about that. Hey, ultimately, that's not what the will of God is about. Now, I'm, I'm one of the primary people that would say, I love to feel the presence of God, but it's not about that. It's not about how we feel. It's not about how, what our feelings are thinking. In fact, is your emotions will lead you astray. My emotions, a whole lot of times, are the problem, okay? Because uh, how many of you ever just something happened and you just let somebody have it? I mean, just put your hand on that hip and went to talking and, and then 
at the end of it, you said, that felt good. And then about a day later, you said, oh my goodness, did I say that? Hey, our feelings will lead us astray. So it's not a feeling, it's not a formula, it's not a one, two, three, A, B, C. Let me look up a recipe here and I'll know I'm in the will of God. Fact is, the will of God is a journey. Step after step after step after step. How many of you have ever been going somewhere on a trip and you took a wrong turn? Three people, thank you. Oh, okay, okay, we're in church, so don't lie. Okay, so how many of you ever took a wrong turn? And wives, how many of your husbands says, I got this, I'm not stopping to ask for directions. Oh, many, many more hands went up on that. So here's the deal. Uh, thank, thank goodness for ways and apps on our phone that, that help us out with maps because we men don't have to deal with that as much anymore. And the men said, thank you for not leaving me out on a limb there. So here's the deal. It's a journey. And just like in our cars, and sometimes we take a wrong turn or a misstep, in, in our journey toward the perfect will of God, sometimes we take a misstep. Does that mean God's done with us? Does that mean he just throws up his hands and says, oh, I cannot believe this. Quite the opposite, I think. I knew that was going to happen, <laughs> is what he's saying. And, and so it makes us so totally reliant on what God has for us and us seeking his plan. So it's not a feeling, it's not a formula. It is a journey that we have to work on every day. Uh, sometimes fear gets in, fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to happen, fear of failure, fear of problems that might arise along the way. So anyway, we talked about that. If you weren't here, you can catch up on that later. I just wanted to put your mind back in the, in the frame of mind that we were in. And today I want to talk to you about how to do the will of God. It's, it's two totally different things. One is knowing the will of God, or at least the portion of it that we're dealing with at this moment. But then, if we don't do something with that, we're missing out on it. James says this, he says, you show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by my actions. James is, is a way toward, I've always called James, the, it's a book about faith with boots on. Uh, I mean, he puts his boots on and says, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by what I'm out there doing for the kingdom. And so what we've got to do is find the will of God, know the will of God, at least in this portion that we can, our finite little brains can, can handle at this moment, and then we've got to do something with it. As we do that, his plan develops more and more and more. And so what we've got to realize is sometimes we sit around waiting for the burning bush, Sometimes we sit around waiting for a, a big lightning flash and thunder to boom and that voice come out of heaven and this is what I want you to do. And most likely it's not going to happen that way. I'm not ruling it out, but I'm just saying for most of us it does not come that way. Most of the time it is that still, small voice. Elijah waited for God to come, and, and here he comes, and here's, here's this big wind, mighty wind that comes, and oh, yes, the mighty, mighty wind. I knew of somebody one time that they had been to a, uh, it was a revival meeting, and they were on the way home, and, and um, all of a sudden they said they just heard this, you know, like a rushing wind, and they're like, you know, whoo, yes, I'm about to have one of these spiritual moments, and uh, uh, he just kept on, and it kept getting louder. And then, so they're just waiting for the Lord all of a sudden, and they realized that their, their uh, switch in the door had shorted out, and the passenger window was coming down. Okay? Sometimes we wait for all those big things, and Elijah waited for that big wind, but it, it tells us the, the, the Lord wasn't in that wind. 
And then here comes a mighty earthquake and the ground shaking and surely God's going to be in the earthquake. But he wasn't. And then here comes the fire and the fire comes through and nothing. It was that still, small voice that I think too often we overlook, that we dismiss. Boy, that was weird. How many of you have ever had a thought pop into your mind or that little unction is way down deep inside in our heart and we dismiss it? We say, whew, that was weird. No, it wasn't weird. It was probably the Lord. Amen? It was probably the Holy Spirit trying to talk to you. And so as we work our way through knowing the will of God and then doing something with the will of God, what we've got to figure out is how to tie those two together. And so we're going to look at this morning one little, one little piece of the puzzle because, again, it looks different for all of us. Some of us are called to, to helps ministry. Some of us are called to preaching and teaching ministry. Some of us are called to evangelistic type ministry. That means going out there and talking to people about the Lord. And so every gift is different and every calling is different. So I can't give you, I wish I could. I truly, truly wish I could just put it on the screen, a picture. This is what the will of God looks like for your life. But it would be so, in, so individualistic that we couldn't get it all on the screen. But we all are supposed to work together for good to the kingdom. And so we're going to look at this morning one little specific thing. One little specific snapshot, if you will, and it's a guy called Nehemiah. In your Old Testament Bible, it's going to be before the book of Psalms and after the book of Ezra. Ezra was a priest, and Nehemiah was basically a politician, if you will. They were contemporaries. They lived at the same time, and they dealt with the same issue, but they dealt with it a, a whole lot differently. fact is, Ezra... Uh, in one case, he was pulling his hair out because of the way the people were acting. And at one point, Nehemiah was ready to snatch somebody's hair out of their head. So a little, little different approach on how they handled it. Ezra was pulling out his own hair, and Nehemiah was ready to pull out somebody else's. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. That meant that he was the king's right-hand man, went everywhere the king went, and sampled his food. Because he was looking out for the king. And so when food would come in, most of the time the cupbearer would take a bite of the food to prove it wasn't poison. He'd take a, cup, a, a drink out of the cup to prove it wasn't poison. So this guy was an important person of the king. And, and Nehemiah, if you, if you take time to read the book sometime, it's an interesting read. Read Ezra and Nehemiah together. Make more sense that way. But Nehemiah suddenly gets this unction from the Lord. He hears about Jerusalem. The walls have been torn down. It is in wreck and ruin. That's the city of God. That is the place that he was from. And it breaks his heart. And the thing that sometimes we miss out on is whatever breaks your heart, that's, a, that's something from God. Whatever's really, really, really heavy on your heart, that's generally, take, you know, note to self, that might be what God's calling me to do. Okay? Most of the time, it's a passion that comes from deep within us. If it's not a passion, then we're not going to take it seriously. We're not going to approach it like we should. So his heart becomes broken over the situation that is in Jerusalem. And so it says, he writes it this way. He says, one day I was in the presence of the king, and he noticed that I was looking down. Okay? Kind of down in the mouth. 
and that wasn't his usual appearance. Evidently, by that not being his usual thing, that must have meant that most of the time he was pretty congenial and maybe even smiled a little bit. Hint, hint. We as, we as born-again believers ought to at least look somewhat congenial. Amen? And we're the good news people, not the bad news people. If we go around looking like we were, we were uh, weaned on lemons and baptized in vinegar, then that doesn't, uh, uh, that's not very becoming to people. So we need to present the gospel in a good way. So he goes in the presence of the king, and he's looking down in the mouth, so much so that the king notices and says, what's up with you? Which could have, had he been a bad king, could have cost him his life. You did not do that kind of stuff in the presence of the king. So he says, well, since you ask, and he says, I prayed, so he must have prayed to himself, Lord, help me be able to present this. And he tells him what's on his heart. Tells him, my heart's broken because of Jerusalem. My people, my place, it, it's, it's in wreck and ruin. And the king says, oh, hey, you've got to know it's from the Lord. The king says, well, why don't you go back and do something about it? Oh, really? So several times in this little section, Nehemiah says, and I prayed. <laughs> And he so he prays and he says, well, king, since you're sending me back, why don't you send me letters so that I can pass through the neighboring countries without them messing with me and I can have free passage without being held up and, and get back to Jerusalem. Okay. And, and, and oh, king, why don't you uh, write letters to, to these people and tell them to give me stuff to be able to rebuild the walls with? Oh, okay. Sounds good to me. You talk about the Lord making a way. I mean, it could have cost him his life just going into the presence of the king sad, let alone asking for, for, for letters of free passage and, and asking for stuff to rebuild the city and all this kind of stuff. So you got to know it's from the Lord. And sometimes whenever our path is just laid out there and as we begin to take steps that everything starts falling into place, most of the time you can say, I bet that's from the Lord. Amen? Now, to tell you the, the, the rest of the story, this is where it comes into difficulty. He goes back and he surveys the damage and it's worse than he even thought it could be and he starts work on it and there's people that are resisting him, even so much so that they were in fear for their lives and at one point uh, they, they take half of the people and they stand guard around everything with their swords and their spears and the people that are laying the stones in the wall are working with their sword in one hand and working with the other. How many of you ever tried to work with something in your hand and it just don't happen very, so it takes them longer than it should. Halfway through, the people get discouraged. The people that are working on the wall, why are we doing this? What's up with this? We're just, we're working against, everybody's against us. Everything's going, you know, everything's resistant to this. Why are we doing this? It was halfway through the project. Vision leaks. Vision is like a tire with a hole in it. You got to pump it up regularly. Fact is, this whole project from start to finish, whenever Nehemiah Came to the conclusion, hey, this is the, Jerusalem's messed up. I've got to go back. The king gives him passage and stuff to rebuild it. He gets back, and from the time he started the project till the time it ended was a long time. I mean, it had to be a long time for people to get discouraged and everything. You know how long it took him to rebuild the wall start to finish? 52 days. 
Are you kidding? 52 days and halfway through, the people are walking away, ready to quit, throwing down their hands. Why are we doing this? 26 days in. Are you kidding? It's just proof that sometimes if we're not looking at the end goal, we give up way before it's time. And we want to give up before the project's complete. And so Nehemiah has to... If it's like a leaky tire, you got to pump it up. So he pumps the people up. Come on, look at the end result. We're going to accomplish something great for the kingdom and all these kinds of things. So ultimately, the walls were rebuilt. But what we're going to look at is everything that went on there. And we're in Nehemiah chapter 6. It's worth reading the whole book, but Nehemiah chapter 6. I think we got it on the screen. There we go. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're just going to read through a few verses, kind of give you an idea of what's going on. Now it came to pass when Sanballat, that's one of the guys that was resistant, and Tobiah, uh, another one, and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt or built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. In other words, the wall was down in places, up in places, and people could just walk in, come and go as they wanted to. So he rebuilds the wall. There's no, no holes left in it. And it says... Um, uh, that I had, uh, had not set up the doors. At that time, he had not set up the doors upon the gates. They had rebuilt those, but they hadn't set them up. Then Sanballat, Geshem, sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in, one, uh, in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And, you know, whenever it's the, that's the name, whenever you say, you want to meet there, you say, Oh, no. <laughs> and they thought to do me mischief. Oh, sorry, dad joke. Uh, and I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should, I, why should the work cease whilst I leave and come down to you? So that's, that's one of the famous lines out of this book that you probably should know. Underline it in your Bible. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. When we know what the will of God is for our lives, don't let anybody distract you. So he goes on. It says, yeah, they sent unto me four times after this sort, wanting to meet with him, and I answered them the same every time. And verse 5, then sent Sanballat his servant unto me in like manner. What version are we in? That surely can't be the new living. That's usually what we use. This is a little wordy. It must be New King James or something. Um, in like manner, in the fifth time, an open letter in his hand. Verse 6, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen. And Gash, Gashmu says it, that you and the Jews think to rebel against the king, the one that sent him there, for which cause you build up the wall, that you may be their king, talking about those that are in Jerusalem, according to these words. Verse 7, and you have also appointed prophets to preach of you at Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah. And now it shall be reported that the king according, it shall be reported to the king, talking about the king that sent Nehemiah there, uh, these words, come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. So in other words, they're still trying to meet with him. Verse 8, then I sent unto him, saying, there are no such things done as you say, but you feign them of your own accord. And goes on, verse 9, for they made us afraid, saying, uh, their hands shall be weakened from the work that shall not be done. And therefore, oh God, strengthen my hands. He's praying there, asking the Lord to strengthen him. After I came unto the, unto the house of Shema, the son of 
Deliah, not Delilah, but Deliah, and the son of, uh, you that guy, yes, uh, who, who, who was shut up, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple. And so he comes to him, and basically he's going to prophesy to him, and he's saying they'll come to slay you. Yeah, in the night they'll come to slay you. And I said, should such a, such a man as I flee? In other words, they were trying to scare him off, trying to tell him they're coming to kill you, you need to flee, you need to run. And he said, should I run? God's on my side, okay? And, and it says, and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? In other words, who's going to run or go into the temple and hide? I will not go in. And lo, I, I perceived that God had not sent him but did he pronounce his prophecy on his own? And for Tobiah and Samballot had hired him, so forth and so on. And therefore he, he was hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin. In other words, I'm not going to accomplish what God sent me to do. I'd be sinning that they might have the matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, here he is praying again, think upon Tobiah and Samballot according to these their works and on the prophetess, and on the rest of the prophets that would have me in fear. Verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 20th and 5th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. Back up to that last verse. In 52 days. That's where it tells you it was the whole project was completed in 52 days. Verse 16. And it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, that they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Okay, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and ministry of his word this morning. So basically, what you've got is this, this story. Nehemiah, again, goes into the presence of the king. king says, why are you down? Because of Jerusalem, my heart's broken. We'll go there and fix it up. And so this is their whole story. This, this whole book is that story. Now, there's more to it, and you need to go and read it on your own time. But basically, it comes down to this. That any time you're trying to accomplish the will of the Lord, number one, you've got to know it, then you've got to do it. When you're trying to do the will of God, number one, it will never be easy. God calls us to do God-sized projects. If you are called to do something that is a man-sized or a woman-sized project, if I'm called to do a Philip-sized project, then most likely that's not my calling. Why? Because I can accomplish a Philip-sized project. Amen? Whenever we are called to do something, it's going to be bigger than we are. It's going to be bigger than we can imagine. It's going to be big to the point that we're going to say, how on earth can all this happen? Because if Nehemiah was back in the king's presence and he said, my desire is to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, how on earth am I going to do that? So again, it's, it's, it begins with knowing the will of God and then accomplishing it. So ultimately it was that he began to move and act in faith to accomplish the will of God. So it's never going to be an easy thing. And here, here comes the enemy. These three guys that kept trying to come in and discourage him and distract him, that was their whole plan. And the enemy, see, here's the thing. Satan will always resist what God's doing. But how many times has the devil, in the, in the, the way we picture him in a little red suit with a pitchfork, 
ever jumped up in front of you and said, you're not going to accomplish that? Mm, never. So how does it happen? He uses people. Amen? Sometimes it's somebody you know, sometimes it's somebody you don't know, but regardless, it's people. Satan doesn't jump up and let himself be known. This is what I'm trying to accomplish against you. He'll just nudge people to do his work for him. So these three guys that kept coming in and creating a static for Nehemiah, they, they sought to distract him. And if we get our minds off of what God called us to do and we get our minds on what these people are saying or what they're doing, and, and the next thing you know, we have totally forgotten and quit the project that God called us to do. Don't allow the enemy to come in and distract you. That's the whole thing there. And they kept doing that over and over and over again. Sent, sent him a, 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 a message four times, and then the fifth time sent a letter with the message. Come and meet with us. And every time he answered them the same way, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down to you with his sword in one hand and laying stones with the other. So ultimately, we cannot allow ourselves to be distracted. It, was that rude? Oh my goodness, again, we're in this day and time when everybody's feelings are important. And if you, by any chance, told somebody, I ain't got time to talk to you. <gasps> Did you hear that preacher? He didn't have time to talk to them. Can you believe that he said, I mean, the distraction just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And God's, God's work's over here. So what we've got to do is say, I'm doing a great work. Can't talk to you right now. I'll talk to you when I get a chance. The other is to discourage. And they sent all these messages and all these kinds of things. And, and, and Nehemiah and the people began to get discouraged. And so Nehemiah prays in, uh, in, uh, in uh, verse 9 here, I think it is. It says, um, he, he was looking around, it says the hands are, are getting weak toward the work, and he says, but, but I prayed, now, Lord, strengthen my hands. In other words, he realized it was not a Nehemiah-sized project. Even though the, he was discouraged, even though the people were discouraged, God, please help me. That's the best prayer you can pray most of the time. Amen. God, would you help me? I know what in my heart what I'm supposed to be doing. I know your will. And now I'm trying to do it. But, oh, God, I realize it's bigger than I am. And the only way that I can accomplish is if you will strengthen my hand. Somebody say amen. So then when they couldn't discourage him and they couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't distract him from the problem, then they began to come in and they wanted to discredit him. In other words, they hired somebody to come in and say, I got a word from the Lord for you. I got a prophecy. I'll guarantee you most of us here at some point in time, somebody's come up and said, this is, this is I got a word from the Lord. I always call it whipping out the God card. And, and what do you do when somebody whips out the God card? Okay, thank you for that message. If it doesn't line up with what God has already spoken to you, you got to, okay? You either receive it or you reject it or you redeem it. That's the three things that us as born-again believers, we have choices to make in this life. 
whatever comes our way, you either receive it, yes, that's from the Lord, yes, that's, uh, that lines up with what I'm feeling, that lines up with what the Lord has spoken to me in many, many different ways, and I receive that. Or you reject it, no, that doesn't line up, that doesn't bear witness in my spirit. Have you ever had somebody say something that this, this was from the Lord and it just like, like fingernails on a chalkboard? That's what that is. That's the Holy Spirit. This, that's the gift of discernment that works within us because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. You, re, you reject it. You reject it. You just go on and you forget about it. Or you redeem it. There's something in that message or something in this situation that's redeemable. Yes, that part I'm not going to receive, but the other part, yeah, it's redeemable. I, I, I see where you were headed. Maybe there wasn't bad intentions there, but this was bad intentions. And he comes and he tells Nehemiah, you need to run away and hide. Just get out of town. Best thing you can do, just get out of town or go to the temple. And, 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 and back in those days, they could uh, apply sanctuary. That's kind of where this, why this is called a sanctuary. They'd go to the, to the temple and it would keep them from getting killed or whatever because they would, they would basically lay on the altar and you couldn't pursue them there. So this guy tells him, you need to go in the temple and hide, or you need to get out of town. And ultimately, he says, I realized that this word was not from the Lord. So what do you do? You reject it. You receive it, you reject it, or you redeem it. Those are the three things that you, as a born-again believer, are called on to do. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you do that. So they tried to discredit him. Because what would have happened if he had to run, or he had to went in the temple and hid? All the people that were working with him would have done the same thing. Okay, this is halfway through the project. The project's not done. And ultimately, it would have been the end of the whole thing that God called him to do. So you, you got you to gotta be careful. You got to watch out. So they tried to discourage him. They tried to distract him. They tried to discredit him. And Nehemiah wasn't having any of that. So ultimately, it comes down to this. It, it is a test of our character. That's number two. Number one was, yeah, never easy. Number two, test of our character. How much stick to have you got? How committed to the goal that God has put in your heart are you? Everything in the kingdom works just, it, uh, life here on earth is a reflection of our spiritual life. And ultimately, if we receive something from the Lord, if we receive a vision from the Lord, it works just kind of like it does here on earth whenever we, we reproduce. Just taking a quick scan. All of our teenagers have gone to camp. So here's the thing. In, on this earth, whenever we reproduce, there's a few things that have to happen. Number one, there has to be an intimacy. Number two, there has to be the seed, and the egg. Then there has to be a period of time whenever gestation takes place, then there's a birth, and we see the final result. We call it a baby. Okay? And that's whether you're human or, or animal or whatever. It works that way. It's God's plan. And so ultimately, here it comes. Nehemiah had an intimacy with God. And God put that in his heart as he was praying, Jerusalem, my city, is in shambles. You need to go. It breaks his heart. Okay, right then, you can't see anything about Jerusalem being finished, can you? 
But it, was, it all started with that intimacy with God. The seed was that God put it in his heart. You need to do something about this. Then there was that period of time whenever he's pondering, how's this going to happen? This is a bigger project than I can handle. And I don't see how it can happen. Okay? Whenever a, a, a baby is on the way, there is a period of time when you cannot see nobody. Somebody's laughing already. You cannot see what's going on. Do not make a big comparison here, please. So this is not a baby, I'll guarantee you. Maybe a couple of buffets too many. But anyway, there's a period of time when you cannot see that there's a baby on the way. It's all acting by faith. But then it begins to show. And so it began to show, and the king said, what's up, Nehemiah? Well, my heart's broken, and I need to do something about it. All of a sudden, okay, then here's the showing. Take these letters. And this other letter that says that you've got all the stuff that you need to make this happen. So Nehemiah begins to move on. It, it, it happens in that direction. So ultimately what happens is this whole thing, again, our spiritual life is, is, a, is reflected here on earth and how things go. So God's got a plan, and it usually happens along those same lines. We spend time with God. He puts something in our hearts. It doesn't show at that moment, so we got to work on it. we got to continue to develop that. But ultimately what happens is that when our, our character is tested, and that's what will happen, that we gotta, we got to have determination, I'm going to finish this goal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this, this project that God gave me. It's going to require wisdom to be able to uh, figure all the ins and outs of it. It's also going to immediately require our dependence on God. We cannot do anything for the kingdom in and of ourselves. It's got to take God working through us. So then what happens is it will ultimately result in victory. That's number three. Number three. It will result in victory. Now, again, back to the same thing. That victory is whenever that baby is born here on earth, when we, when we accomplish something like that. But... In the spiritual realm, it's going to be that there's a victory for the church, for God's people, and it was here. They, they, uh, this was a big victory for the city of Jerusalem. I'm talking about huge in the context of where they were at that time and everything that was going on. This was infinitesimally big. Try that one two or three times. <laughs> it was huge, to quote our president, huge. And it will always come through the power of God. One of the other prophets said it this way. It's not by power, not by might, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord. We can work and we can work and we can work and we can work. And it won't accomplish anything unless it's what God wants. And whenever it's what God wants and it's his will, then guess what? The work is easy and the burden is light. And all of a sudden, we have accomplished something. And when we look back, we say, wow. I, I was right in the middle of that, and I'm not even sure how it all happened. Yes, there's going to be distractions. Yes, there's going to be discouragement. Yes, there's going to be chances for people to try to discredit us. But you know what? When we know the will of God and we begin to do the will of God, all of a sudden, that victory is going to be there. And we're not even going to realize how it happened or when it happened. We're just going to realize the Lord has given us the victory. Amen.